0: Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Joe and Rebecca Martin have labored for 20 years in Africa to bring the gospel and humanitarian aid to some of the poorest people in the world. They minister primarily in Malawi and Mozambique, though the work in Kenya is now gaining traction as well. In this interview, you'll hear how a single track led to one believing family, which eventually resulted in more than 450 churches 20 years later. In addition, the Martins share several stories of what they've seen God do in the missionary field. They've run missions trips virtually every summer with other pastors and students. I myself went, along with my wife Ruth, back in 2004, and we had a great time. Now that they've reached the age of retirement, they've purchased a house in Malawi so they can spend even more time there each year. Here now is my interview, number 10, 20 years of missions in Africa with the Martins. Well, welcome to Restitudio. Dr. Joe and Rebecca Martin. I'm so glad to have you here today and to be talking about the missionary work in Africa.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: All right. So, to get started, I thought maybe I'd ask you how you first got involved in the work in Africa.
1: Well, I got involved because Anthony had gone once. Anthony Buzzard had gone once. And then he invited my dad, Jim Madison, and my stepmom, Martha, to go with him. So, they went the next year. And the next year, they were going back, and my dad said, why don't you go, too? We really think you'd enjoy this, and it's a real blessing. We think you could be a blessing to the people. And so that's how we got started.
0: Do you remember what year that was?
1: 1996.
2: Wow. 20
0: years ago. 20 years ago? Yeah. Huh. Right. So how'd yeah. you get roped into this? Well, <laughs> Well, I guess you were, along, you were yeah. married.
2: Uh, I was married right? into the trip to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Having been in Bible college and taught in school. And so I wanted to get involved, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Right. And so I'd been to internationally just touring several times, but not on a, in a mission field. So we wanted to go on a mission trip. So were you there in 1996 when
0: Rebecca went the first time? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. we went. So you went together. What was it like that first year? I'm sure it was, it was way different than the year I went.
1: It was very different. I didn't really know what to expect. I had not done preparation, but hadn't been taught to do preparation. I just didn't know. And we landed at the airport. As we were flying in, you could see fires coming up all over the place, and I thought the whole country was on fire, <laughs> but it was it was peop- women cooking meals. Oh. You know, we were greeted by the lady that we were working with at the time, and we rode in the back of a pickup truck. It was about 6 o'clock in the evening. It was raining. We had nothing to cover oh. us. And it was cold. It's their winter time. It was in July, I believe. It was just very noisy. The culture shock was just oppressive.
2: Very primitive situation. We were in the back of an old Nissan pickup truck, and it was probably 10 years old at the time. And so you're going... All the, in the at the airport, they got our luggage with tractors, farm tractors. They went out to the plane with tractors and brought our luggage on a just about. I mean, a, what
0: was going through your mind when you saw this? I'm like,
2: what am I doing here? And there was
1: and there was no conveyor belt for the luggage. No. There was just like a platform they threw it on. Wow, so it was very different.
0: And what was that trip like? Was it a quick trip, or did you stay for
2: quite a while? We were
1: several weeks. I think it was two weeks, but. I can't, I can't remember. It was anymore. still a long
2: trip. It's it, very long. What, what made it longer was just the primitive conditions. We were literally sleeping in the, their houses and washing up on the back of their house. So we would have to go to the hand dug well to pull up buckets of water and bring the buckets of water to take a bath. Wow. And so it's kind of tough.
1: There was not a main road. They were working on the main road that's there now, it was dirt. It was not just bouncy, but we were covered in red, red oh, dirt, wow. uh, everything, because we're in the back of the truck. Mm-hmm.
0: And after that first year, you said, I got to do this again, or you said never again, or what was it like on the way back?
1: We kind of had to get over culture shock to process through and decide if we were going to do it again. And we felt like it was a good thing to do. We felt like we had helped change some lives and evangelized, talked, right. talked about God. So uh, in 1999, we went back. And we've been back every year since, except 2014 when I was sick.
0: So how many trips is that?
1: I have gone... One year, I went four times. Uh, <laughs> so, so I have been 23 times.
2: Wow. And I've been 18. Well, you'll get there, John. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, there was a, the famine... And so that year, we sent a delegation over several times to disperse food, and so that was it. But it seems like on that first journey in 96, we met some people that really seemed honest and open and transparent and seeking biblical truth, and so we wanted to go back. Some of our translators, Maxwell Chantingo and Dow Chihuahua, we met them, and we even met the guy from Mozambique, Fabiano Bongo, who is, who is, quote, unquote, the head of the Mozambique work. And so having met them, we wanted to be a blessing to them as much as we could. So it just started, and now it's 20 years later. So these days, how long do you typically stay on a trip?
1: Usually between four and six weeks.
0: Okay. And just describe for the listeners, I mean, I I went with you guys in 2004, I think. So I have some idea of what a trip is like and what happens. But just describe a little bit what, what a trip is like and what sorts of activities you participate in.
2: Well, the main thing we go over is to strengthen the churches and present biblical truth. It's pretty tough if we go in now you go in, and you're teaching pastors. So we may call the pastors from, for instance, the Balaka region of of Malawi, and there may be 20 pastors, so they would come in. And so part of the going is to teach pastors and have them practice their biblical learning and things like that. But also, every other year, we would go in, and we would go around, literally, to the congregation. So we may go to uh, 12 different churches in 24 days, you know, and we would go in. And back in the old days, we had a service in the morning and a service in the afternoon. And the services are about two and a half to three hours long each. <laughs> I remember that part. <laughs> so that, that hasn't changed
0: much, huh? <laughs> no, no. A no.
1: well, lot of
0: singing. A lot yes. I remember.
1: Part of the reason I think that the services are so long, though, is because they all have to be translated. So they take twice as long as they would... If you were just speaking to someone that spoke the language,
0: right, right, and they speak Chichewa in Chichewa. Malawi, and your work is also in Mozambique. What's what's the language there?
2: They're doing Chichewa there. You know, okay. the the Chewa tribe actually was in Malawi, Mozambique, and Zambia also. I met a few okay. people from Zambia, and they spoke the Chewa. So, Wasn't there some Portuguese yeah. in Mozambique? Mozambique?
1: The Portuguese is the national language of Mozambique, but along the border of oh, Malawi okay. they speak Chichewa.
2: Well, in, in Malawi English is the official language, but you get out in the villages. Right. And then the native tongue Chichewa comes up. And Well, a
1: lot of people don't even know English. Yeah.
2: So. Yeah. I remember when I went I got to preach in
0: Mozambique once and Everything was repeated oh, yeah. twice, so yeah, there's three the times. So three I say languages. it in English, someone says it in Chichewa, Chichewa. someone yeah. else says it in Portuguese, and by the time you get back to you again, <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking yeah. about.
2: <laughs> what was true. I saying? <laughs> that was really hard. Yeah, it was difficult. Yeah.
1: We've only come up against that probably three times. You have to shorten your message because it takes so long to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah.
0: I also remember the year I was there, we we did some sort of medical exchange. There was a doctor there, mm-hmm. and I think you had done that for a while before that, Dr. Chamoyo. Dr. Chamoyo. Mm-hmm. Do you still work with him or do any medical activity? Well,
1: we haven't recently. We still plan to, but he moved his office and, and he's now working out of his home. Okay. And a couple of times we stopped by and the one time he was out of town, the other time he still wasn't back from being out of town, so...
2: We've supported him quite a bit, you know, both financially and, of course, people around the country give us uh, glasses and things like that, and occasionally he has a request for certain medications that Rebecca has, can either find funding or purchase. But also, one year, he was really wanting to have a microscope. We bought a microscope and took it over, and kind of a, a, an exchange... We have asked him to, if any of our pastors come in and need help, and could he help them you know, and give them a little priority, and he's done that. Okay. So
1: he, he doesn't charge our pastors for treating them or their families, Wow. which is great.
0: In America, we call that health insurance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. But over there, it's uh, by a microscope, and you see these pastors, and everyone shakes yeah. hands on yeah. it,
2: and that, that's the way it is. And wasn't he wanting the microscope to look at the malaria to make yes some, he, specifically he can, he can he doesn't have to send it off to Blantyre uh, he can look yeah. under the microscope and see if that's a bug so he'll know how to treat yeah. it without having to go into the city
0: and and what about wells I, I remember there is some uh, well digging going on is that something Wait. that's has I think that's been a lot of what you've been involved with, right?
1: Well, we we did some, but the government actually came in and was digging wells that were real, you know, they were, I don't know if they were dug by machines, but I think so, and they had pipes, and they have a pump that you can pump the water out. Most of the wells that we were involved with, helping with, were hand-dug wells where a person would actually get down there and and dig it until they hit water. It was more... In
2: the early churches, you know, before they really got into the government they call it boring before we got into that you know villages didn't they would have to go down to the river right and get the water and so we started digging wells of about 40 feet deep then you would hit water and you have a rope and a bucket and so then you would have water for the church and water for the little community surrounding the church and really, that water is much better than getting water out of the river that could have been polluted by animals or something like that. We were doing a service, and occasionally we still do that. But the government has really tried to go in and dig wells in the major communities, villages, I want to say about at least every three or two or three miles. Well, that's good news. Yeah.
1: It is. Because when they got water out of the river, people use the river for bathing. They wash their clothes. They, you know, all kinds of stuff's in the river. It is polluted. Yeah. So it's nice to have water from a well. Much nicer. I, I
0: remember when I was there, I was there with Ruth, and we looked out the window in our van, and uh, we were passing over a bridge, and we saw people down by the riverside with all their clothes out on yeah, the rocks. That's the laundromat. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess it makes perfect sense. Like where else are you going to do your laundry other than at the river? But yeah. I had never seen or even thought of that before. And that's their reality. I mean, that's what yeah. they're doing. There's there's not electricity or, or running water. So you just got to do,
2: do what you got to do, right? And yeah. a lot of nice flat rocks, if you remember, on the river and just wash the clothes and Lay them out to dry on the on the grass on the bank, and I was just reading in the, in the book of Acts, talking about they went into Europe. Where did Paul and Silas go? They went to the laundromat, which is down by the river. and Lydia, first European convert, was there. so still very primitive, just like the book of Acts, maybe. Go down to the river to wash your clothes. Little danger in that too. We heard one story. You want to tell that one about
1: the lady? Well, who yeah. Got eaten the lady that we were working with mainly was at the Shura River and she was going down to the south to Bangula. And she got a little rowboat that she borrowed and she rowed across, left it there, went and did her business with the church, and then came back. And as she was there's a hill, and then the, the river is down lower than the hill. And as she came, the hill, she heard a lot of women wailing and just carrying on, and she went down there and asked what was wrong, and as they were washing their clothes there, a crocodile came and got a young mother, Oh wow! and, um, yeah. and so she was afraid, and, but she went down, because she had to get back across the river. The crocodile came up then, and the lady was still in his mouth, and so she said it took a lot of faith to get in that little rowboat and go back wow. across the river.
0: I didn't even realize. Yeah, I guess I did there know the they crocodiles. had crocodiles. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah they they're, that, they're all we over the place. We went on that boat trip that the mm-hmm. year I was there. Yeah, remember the crocs. Are just... And there, you're right. There were crocodiles there and hippos. Yeah. Right, <laughs> lots, lots of hippos. hippos. Right. Yeah. Well, hippos hippo is no joke either
2: if, it, if, well, if, if it's not in a good mood, right? <laughs> That's they're the, true. one of the most deadly animals in Africa. Huh. So, wow. one. It's not all business, and I'll just talk about the game preserve. Yeah. There is a, a game preserve, Luanda game preserve there, about the lower end of the of Lake Malawi. And so for a fee, and they, they do charge Americans kind of high price. I think it was $25 each at least, back even back in the day. But then you can hire a boat to take you up and down the river, and you see lots and lots of hippos. The Shire River is one of the dominant places where hippos grow, but also crocodiles and eagles and... And the, the novelty thing, if an elephant comes down out of the woods to water and graze, we got to see them many times. That's We've a lot of fun. We've
1: seen big herds of elephants many times.
2: Wow. So
0: share some stories about some of the things you've seen God do over the years mm. as far as getting his work going, ex- seeing it expand. I know you're in Kenya now, too. Yeah. And just kind of let people in on what you've seen,
2: I mean, over 20 years now. I think for the two of us, you know, when we went, you know, Jim and Anthony had worked on that and had made the communication and things like that. And in one of the first meetings, either in 96 or 99, one of the guys from Mozambique, and you've met him before, Fabiano Bongo and Taliana Chaco were over in our meetings. They just says, why don't you come over to Mozambique? And no one had ever done, from our group, no one had ever done that. It's They had had some uh, political turmoil. The communists had a little revolution in there. And so for a long time, it was not a place to go, but it, it had calmed down. And and I told uh, Pastor Bango, Lord willing, we'll try to come to Mozambique next year. And so we did, and we've been there almost every time we've gone. We haven't been able to go each time because still there's some turmoil but as a result of that there are close to 300 village churches over in Mozambique so and it wasn't our doing we just tried to maintain our relationship with the Mozambique pastor uh, Fabiano Vango, Taliana Chaka, Aneva Sande, uh, Lomos and you, you've seen some of those guys and, and they are the true evangelists they will go you know days on a bicycle to go to another village and teach about the kingdom of God and Malungumotsi, the one God, and things like that. So it's just been a blessing to see Mozambique grow, and now we're having similar experiences up in Kenya as well.
1: Well, the neat thing is, this started out with one family, a husband and wife, when Anthony and my dad went. Well, Anthony went the first time by himself, and now. 20 years later, there's about 150 churches in Malawi and about 300 churches in Mozambique. Wow, from one? From one, yeah, wow. one family. So I think that speaks volumes.
0: Yeah, 450 <laughs> churches, that's that's definitely volume. No question about it. And, and how did that get started? Somebody came across a, a flyer or a tractor a tract or something that Anthony yeah. produced?
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, someone at the bus station... Brought it in from another country okay. and didn't want it. They handed it to this other guy and said that you know I I don't want this. Do you want to read it? And the guy did and believed it and contacted Anthony and started from there.
0: And he just went right over by himself. Yeah,
1: he did <laughs> by himself. No preparation.
0: <laughs> <That's so interesting. laughs> and the story was
2: yeah, you know British uh, stiff upper lip and you know he had to walk through tea plantations to get to the. The, the house where the people lived and he did and so it was kind of a an yeah. amazing story <laughs> huh. so one little track
0: and then one family and then 20 years later 450 churches yeah. in two countries yeah. two of the poorest countries too yeah yeah they're very poor especially mozambique i mean mm-hmm. just, i remember when we went the exchange rate was just their their local currency was just Ridiculously oh, yeah. inflated, it was thousands, they counted in thousands or tens They They
1: have now knocked a thousand off of that, so you can back up to I don't know what it is now, but the exchange rate in Malawi when we first went was about seven kwacha to one dollar, okay. and it's now 795 so kwacha to one dollar. Wow, but Inflation 100%. In, Moz- in Mozambique, they already had thousands on their currency, which is Medicash, and about I don't know, in the last five years, I can't remember exactly when, they knocked off the last three zeros to cut just because <laughs> the just inflation was, was crazy, so bad. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I want to buy that banana. That'll be fifty thousand meta <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay, here you go. Let and, me get my wheelbarrow. And you know, you have to use their currency when you're in the country. Ah. And so the money changers is you're going from the Mozambique border up to the, to the little uh, hotel where we stayed. They're on the road, and they're, they're waving sacks full of money. And so you give them $100, and you get this big four-inch stack full of money well, for 100 bucks. I actually, more than that. It was just ridiculous. And finally, they devalued whatever it is, just took off the zeros and call it a whatever.
1: One of the years we went there, I'll tell you the story later on, but we were not able to get a motel. And my dad was with us, and he had had both of his hips replaced. And, and so we were going to buy some foam mattresses. So we went to the mattress shop to get them. And we had plenty of kwacha, but they said it was not legal for them to take kwacha; They had to take cash. So we went to the bank across the street. We exchanged $65 US American dollars. And it took them two hours to get it for us, and there were seven people that consulted each other back and forth, whispering stuff. When they finally gave it to us, we literally did need a like backpack, a, wasn't it? the backpack was full. Joe's briefcase was full. We were holding it in our arms. I mean, every sack we had, we uh, <laughs> this it took up. We were just loaded going across the street, and it was just sixty-five dollars.
0: Wow! So. <laughs> and you got the foam mattress.
1: Yes. Good. Oh yeah.
0: Now that money's their problem. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, they have to
2: deal with that. Wow, that's something. You guys have any other stories, or you? Oh, mm-hmm. lots of lots of stories. On the, we had a Zach and Zaquiz Ross that went with us, and that's uh, Kent's young Kent Ross's youngest son. And so we had rented a room at the Pencial Lily. I don't know if you remember that, but Pencial Lily, the little hotel right inside of Mozambique at the Melange and Villa. And so, but we went to the church and had services, and then we came back to the Pensial Lily about 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and they said, we're sorry, we had made a prior reservation, and so we don't have any rooms, and there are no rooms anymore.
1: Well, the thing is, we had already paid for the room. Ah. Ah. And what happened is, they were afraid since we were white that somebody was going to come attack us and mess up their place. And so the, do- the lady said that her daughter rented the rooms to somebody else, and they were in there. So they gave us our money back, but we had nowhere to stay.
2: So then we had to go out to the church. Oh, to hold on a second. So
0: <laughs> they val- invalidated your reservation right. because yes. you're white. Why wouldn't they want white people?
1: Because white people are a target a lot of times because uh, they're supposed to be wealthy.
0: Okay. So they didn't want someone to come attack the white people in their motel. In the motel.
1: Right, because it would mess, you know, who knows what it would tear up.
2: Over 20 years or whatever it's been that we've been going there, we know the guys now at Pensial Lily, you know, and we know their names and we know the cook. And they do have now a locked gate where you can park your vehicle inside and it's locked up. A little more security involved. Now,
0: is this the same place that I stayed at? I think so. Where you have to flush the toilet with a bucket of water yes, that's, that's off right. to the side? This yes. is the elite hotel. That's, uh, <laughs> yes.
2: Our prisons are better than that. I yeah. know, I know.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, wow. But the story was, we so we had to go to the church to sleep. We had nowhere else to sleep. And so we went there, and you want well, to
1: talk? I, I want to back up a little bit. Before we went from Malawi to Mozambique, This may have been the first year we went to Mozambique. I can't remember, but Zaquees was terrified to go into Mozambique. She was very afraid. She did not want to go, and I said, "Well, you don't have to go. We're not going to make anybody do anything they don't want to do." But then she didn't want to stay in the village by herself. She would have been safe, but she just wasn't comfortable with any situation. So she came with us.
2: So Zaquees is the only one that could actually blend in a little bit. I
1: know. (laughs) (laughs) I know
2: that's true. Yeah, being black, you know, she would fit in real well, so yeah. she probably would not have been attacked. Yeah, she's the least j- endangered yeah. person there. Except
1: she couldn't speak to well, Right.
2: But the story was that we were sleeping. We, we literally lined up in the front of the church. They usually have a raised platform for the speakers, maybe six inches. Yeah. So we just lined up. There the were long, seven of us. Seven of us, and, you know, sleeping bags and whatever we had and the foam mattress we had bought for Jim and lined up and sat there. But the people, the church people, got machetes and two at each door.
1: And they camped, camped around the church.
2: Because of previous robberies and things like that. And remember, Mozambique had just had a kind of revolution 10 years or so earlier, and there was still a lot of political unrest. So they guarded us. Wow. They guarded us that night. What was that like?
0: Did sure. you feel uh, more endangered or more safe having them guarding you?
1: I felt like we would be warned if yeah. somebody came in that we could jump up and run or something. I don't right. know.
0: <laughs> Seems seemed like a hairy situation.
1: It, it was. It was very, very cold, and there's no doors or windows, so we put Bible boxes in the windows to try to block some of the air, some of the wind. But that whole trip, my dad had leg cramps constantly. And he would, you know, he'd start having a cramp and he'd holler for somebody to rub his leg. So everybody was used to that. And he was up against one side. And it was Joe, me, Zaquiz, Zach, and then several more people. And then my dad, they lit a lantern and put it on a bench to keep going the whole night. They could see that we were safe when they looked in. Wow. So Zaquiz looked over she was very nervous.
0: I bet. <laughs> she didn't want to go to this country, and now she's sleeping with guys with machetes at the door. Yeah, yeah.
1: And um, she, looked up, she sat up in the middle of the night, looked over towards my dad, and she said there was a man, a black man, sitting on the bench with his feet on my dad's legs. And she thought to herself, well, that's really strange, because he's been hollering about his legs the whole time. And she, she was surprised that he could stand that. And so she laid down and went back to sleep, and that happened three times. And she said he was sitting there the whole time on the edge of the seat with his feet on my dad's legs, and he was just looking out over us. And so she thought it was Dowd. So the next morning she got up she said, Hey, guys, did you, did you see Dowd sitting over there by Jim? And we had all slept. We were <laughs> exhausted. Right. She started asking the people, and then, then she asked Dowd. Nobody had seen anybody. They had been looking in the windows. Like, all night long, nobody saw anybody sitting there, but it was a black guy. So we really feel like it was an angel that God sent, not just for protection, but for her peace of mind.
0: Right. Huh? Maybe to keep his
2: legs from...
1: Yeah, because they didn't cramp up that night. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Very strange situation.
0: Huh. What was driving you to keep going back? I mean, why do you love these people so much? And you can't blame youthful indiscretion for... You keep going back year after right. year. I mean, this is right. very intentional, it's very much a part of your life.
2: What motivates you to keep well, going? One thing, you talk about culture shock in in the US. KP Johannen wrote a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. It uh-huh. really it challenged me a little bit, you know, because we're so stinking rich. The poor in our country think we're poor. But when you get to Malawi and Mozambique, they have nothing. I mean, no, you've been there, no running water, no electricity. You know, you got to dig it and plant it in the field or you don't eat, basically. There's a little bartering going on, a little bit of maize or corn for, you know, tomatoes and back and forth and things like that. And yet, they are so joyful in their worship and they're so happy. They will sing and dance and just. They rejoice. They may not have anything but SEMA, which is the corn meal, and a little bit of gravy, but they are happy. They're rejoicing. They may not have anything but a thatched roof, but if they get a Bible and you put it in a plastic bag, they will read that Bible and wear it out for the word of God. So I appreciate someone who is joyful despite their circumstances. And you know when you talk about third world or developing countries we in the united states until you go you just don't know until you go you don't know and so they are not well off financially or materially and yet they they are receptive to the word of god
1: i have to agree i really um i love their enthusiasm i love their love for the word Sometimes we've gone over there and we're teaching, and we get done, and they they want you to keep going. They don't want you to stop. They just want to hear more of the word. And And like, how
0: long are we talking here?
1: Oh, three hours or more.
2: (laughs) So after three hours, they're like, keep going.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, and often if there's like four visitors there, you know, we may have a team of four or five. We'll have two or three speakers. You know, usually we try to bring some pastors who are main speakers and. But also we have students who come and let them be additional speakers also. So we may have two pastors and a student speak, and and they will say, what about those two? They haven't said anything yet. Give them some time to speak. (laughs) So it's like everybody has to say something and give greetings and uh, preach a little of the Word. So it's interesting.
0: Do you think the lack of television and books, (laughs) you know, that... This is their entertainment. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and seeing white people too—that's yes. a novelty yeah. in a lot of these villages. At least I remember mm-hmm. when I was there, they would run out and, and meet our van and with cheers yeah. and sing along to the
2: church. And one of the villages recently, and this has happened two or three times. You know, we may drive an hour off the road and back and forth, and sometimes two or three hours, and you get to this village. When the Zungus, the white guys, come in, then it's it's kind of a novelty. So the chief usually shows up, and one, two or three times, the chief got up and said, "This is the first time a white man has been in our village since time began." Since time began, <laughs> yes. I don't know how he knows that, but you know, well, he's we, the chief. He's the chief. Well,
1: really, by word of mouth, they pass history on, so they could be right.
2: Yeah, that could know. be right. Who knows? <laughs> and what we also do, the chief is usually invited to stand up and give greetings uh, not only to the congregation but to the to the visitors they call them. And so he tells something and usually in response we usually give the chief a bible. And one of the chiefs just went on and on about he had never had a bible and now he has a bible and He's going to treasure that Bible, and this village is now has its own Bible, and, and so it's kind and of... he,
1: that particular chief said, "This is the best gift I've ever had my entire life."
2: Remember yeah. that? Yeah. And you know, a Bible probably is around seven to ten bucks now over there, and if you think a daily wage over there is hardly anything. It represents a major. It's a major gift and a major value. Plus, it's the word of God. Yeah. As you reflect back on the work you've done in Africa and
0: all the different people that have gone with you over the years, because it's pretty much a different group each year, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How have you seen the work expand, in, in particular in Kenya, and what's what's that looking like these days? Because uh, I know this past year you did spend extra time up there. Mm-hmm.
1: We started working with, with one man named James Nyanguti. He knows the Word, he spreads the Word, he's very evangelistic-minded. And I think through him we met Maurice Chihilu, and They're both on the west part of Kenya. One's in the north and one's in the south along uh, Lake Victoria. So Maurice is more educated, he's very outgoing, very charismatic, both he's a of a former banker. Yeah, he is a former banker. He stopped banking to pastor a church.
2: Okay. Maurice also, since he was a banker, he had access to the Internet. He had heard some of your teachings. From some, Living Hope? From Living Hope, and some of our teachings from the Internet as well, so he knew about our biblical truths that we emphasize. So we had already done before the we got ad- there yeah. investigation
0: right. Right. come yeah. to find these truths yeah. Yeah. about who God is, about the kingdom. So when when was the first time you went to Kenya? Was that a couple years ago
1: or two thousand seven? I think yeah, was the first about year eight or
2: eight or nine years ago. Okay, and so that so- was just a foray. We didn't know more. He's, we just went to James's area and visited him and visited so- several of the house churches. There were no. There was no building. We went to house churches. And so then once we established that relationship, and then we've gone back, what, four times now? But mm-hmm. now it's expanding. The best trip, let me just tell you about this year. We were just there six months ago. In the north, around Maturu, where Maurice is, they have a, a group of churches, about 12 churches he's working with now. And then in the south with James Nyanguti, there's about uh, ten or twelve people pastors that they're working with. So we would meet in a gazebo down in Kilgoris, and we went for three or four days, nothing but Bible, 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 Bible. You know, one God, and then you know Jesus as the Son of God, and the Kingdom of God, and then so they started getting together, and this year Kenya. Is officially recognized, wasn't it? Six months ago that yeah. Maurice went through the process?
1: It was a year, a year ago in November. It's a long process to have a church recognized by the government. Oh, okay. And if you're not recognized by the government, then uh, sometimes you cannot meet as a church. Now, we got a lawyer in Malawi back years ago and registered with the government, so that was good. And in Kenya, They had been trying for about two years, and it finally happened last year. There was some ban or something on any new churches being admitted for registration because there were a lot of pastors that were abusing. They were money grubbers, and so they didn't want that to continue. But we were very fortunate to be able to get that.
2: Wow. So we met with the, the men in the south and then met with the men in the north, and... We talked about forming a board. One of the great things I think we've done in Malawi Mozambique to make it an indigenous work, their work. It's not our work. Over 20 years, it's, Malawi is, they run the show. We don't deal with individual situations. They deal with the individual situations. The boards, Malawi has a seven-member board. They meet, and they make decisions, and we're trying now to build Uh, three churches, church buildings in Malawi and three church buildings in Mozambique. We don't determine which ones those are. They tell us the board makes that decision. And so Malawi and Mozambique have been working very well together. There's always little spits and spats and things like that, but they generally have worked very well together knowing we have limited resources. They'll say, well, this church needs this, and this church needs that, and this pastor died, and can we help this family? And so they give us information, and we act on that. Well, that has now happened in Kenya this year. They've generated a six-member board, three from Maurice Chihilu's area and three from James and Amos's area down south around Kilgoris, And so they are going to, Lord willing, start functioning as a national board now And so we've had pastors from Nairobi, pastors from Eldoret, pastors from Kisumu, all coming together to try to work together. So we're looking for them to grow. And remember, Kenya is much better off than Malawi or Mozambique. You know, their standard of living. It's not our standard of living, but it's, you know, there are more cars in Kenya there's more electricity in Kenya there's more running water in Kenya
1: almost and, everyone is educated
2: and and most everyone is educated and the official language is English but the secondary language is Swahili but there are 42 tribes in Kenya and so you will go into one area and they don't speak Swahili they'll speak Kikuyu or they'll speak Luo and remember Obama is President Obama is from the lake area and that's any name in Western Kenya that starts with O is rather Luo tribe. Oh, okay. And then in Nairobi, the Kikuyu tribe is the main tribe, and that's right now the major tribe of rulership. But our group is working together and coming together pretty good. Huh. What do you see in the future of the work in
0: Africa? Are you I know you recently bought a house. Hmm. So, what?
1: Yeah,
0: in, in Malawi. Well, in Malawi. So, what are the plans there?
1: We're planning to, when we retire, which will be soon, hopefully, we're planning to spend quite a bit of time there, probably three to six months at a time, and just continue with what we've been doing go around teaching, continue with building relationships and keeping up the ones that we have. And
2: I, I and got be a, a good thing. real strange story. It's almost like Charis- I'm interested. <laughs> Charisma story. So anyway, we've been every time we go over the hotel rates were $5 a night 20 years ago and and then they went up to $10 a night and then 20 and now I don't know $70, $80 it's a 100, night. 120 and dollars a it's $120 a night. It's a nice this the yeah. hotel that one of the hotels in. I think that you stayed at, they've remodeled and air conditioning and uh some India Indians took it over and it's Air conditioning, and so we can't afford that anymore. Wow! You know, so we started looking into buying a house, and so we told Linda, our coordinator there, to just be on the lookout and see what she said. And the story is the 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 thing that clinched the deal. Now this is going to sound weird. This is almost like a Gideon sign, but anyway, I was watching TV one night, and you know how they have these little someone is lost and. This picture of a young lady who had been you know, taken somewhere and, and said simply, Watch out for Destiny Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the young lady's name was Destiny Martin. Uh-huh. And so. Uh, Obviously, somebody related to you. <laughs> uh, probably not, but, but it's in Atlanta. But a young black lady, Destiny Martin. I said, Well, that's kind of interesting. I wonder if God has something. And so, so I just thought, watch out for destiny. And then I read, oh, that's a person's name. And then I think it was the next morning. Linda called and was so excited. We found the perfect house for you. You know, you could have students come over. We've got three bedrooms and two baths, and it's within a mile of Shoprite, Rebecca's favorite shopping place. Gracious. You know, and and so it, this is the perfect house. And and so we said. We we're going to pray about this seriously and, and get back to you, and then uh, someone sent us a little money, and so we felt it was the Martin destiny to buy the house. <laughs> to buy the house. <laughs> something like that. I mean yeah. you know you're but not supposed to let your left hand know what your right hand doing is doing, but we invested in the house because I think it's going to be better for Malawi. and, and it, this is only 50 miles from the Mozambique borders. So, okay. so we're within an hour of our a lot of our Mozambique churches. You still may have to go 45 minutes or an hour to those churches after the border, but we are right there. And so we're in very comfortable situations. It's kind of a nice neighborhood, just three quarters or a mile away from a major shopping store. And so we can be in Malawi and Mozambique in an hour. We can be in Balaka in about an hour. We can go over to Cholo down south with those guys in in about forty five minutes and so And you're gonna be living there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We Lord really Lord. felt like this house was a blessing from God. We had talked about it, we had prayed about it actually for several years. And in December of last year, we we just felt like this is something God wanted us to do and we didn't have the money for it so we refinanced our house to be able to do that and then when the house was found and we paid for it it happened to be the exact amount we had refinanced our house for so we felt like that was a blessing and then just out of the blue this person sent us a, a huge check and said they wanted this to be used in missions and we said well, we just bought a house, can we use it to pay some of our our loan back? And he said, sure, any way you see fit, just do, because we know that you're doing God's work there. So I, that was just an affirmation to me that this was God's doing.
2: Wow. So you can bring Ruth over and the boys and well, have plenty all boys, of room. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Um, what if somebody
0: listening to this wants to go and they're interested in – coming to visit you or participating in a trip, what kind of qualities are you looking for in somebody that joins the team? And how would they get in contact with you?
1: Well, we we talked about this. First of all, they need to know biblical truth and have a love for it. And they also need to have a love for, obviously, a love for God, for Jesus, and for people. They need to be healthy. They need to have the kingdom as a focus. The reason yeah. we
2: say healthy is when we go to Africa, we carry 50-pound suitcases. That's the limit. We put tracks in them. Each person can. So we're carrying these giant suitcases. And so if someone, you know, has a, a broken back, broken, <laughs> <laughs> which I now have. If someone is not able to at least carry their own weight and a 50-pound suitcase, then there'll be a burden. And then if someone who wants wants to go they really need to be flexible. We have a little saying called T I A. This is Africa. When you're when you're there, <laughs> anything, anything can happen. Right. Okay, I don't know if you were on this particular trip, but one day the van that we had rented had a flat tire and the jack wouldn't work. So what are you gonna do? Well we were near a village and we saw a bunch of guys standing over there, about 10 guys, and we invited them to come lift the van up while we put rocks under the axle to change the tire. Well, TIA, this is Africa. Right. Yeah. And then one day we're going to a church and we said to Doubt, how far is it? He said, oh, not far. So we drive about an hour and a half and he says, I said, Doubt, how far is this church? <laughs> And he says, oh, it, it's not far. And the, we drive another hour. So we're, go in, we're two and a half hours into this trip. And I said, doubt how far is the church? It's, just, it's near. <laughs> and then it was another 30 minutes. Oh, man. So TIA. So don't expect normal schedules. Don't expect normal times. You know.
1: And expect your plans to change in the middle of what you're yeah, doing.
2: Like we were intending to go to Mozambique this time. But there's something going on. We couldn't get across the border. We would expect people to be flexible. And they also will have to do, and we would expect them to do, like mini sermons, a younger person would have to do a mini sermon of 15 to 20 minutes and do that with a translator. So we ask them to prepare ahead of time biblical lessons on biblical truths ahead of time. So they need to be able to in some sense, public speak.
1: And we we now, after experience, have learned to have them not only prepare them, but send them for us to look over beforehand so that if, if it needs to be polished up or. or right. You and know. so you
0: can avoid train wrecks in the moment. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have this person up there in front of a group and you have your stamp of approval on them because you brought right, them. And they're exactly. get up there and start preaching some weird thing. Yeah, I can always totally see why you wanted to We do that. need to
2: know them a little bit. And yeah. if you remember your, your case, you came down to the Bible college for a little bit and, and you had desires to go to Africa. So uh, we listened to you for, okay, let's go. But also, another thing is we're self funded. You know, we depend on donations each, to go. And so
1: each person funds themselves.
2: Each person would have to talk to their friends and family and church members to. raise up the funding to go there and used to cost about two thousand dollars you know by the time you buy a plane ticket to Johannesburg and a plane ticket up to uh, Blantyre and now that price has gone up so they have to raise their own funds and so the main thing they would do is just talk to Rebecca she's kind of the coordinator for Africa and and get on the list and then the lhi has a form lord's harvest international mission sending agency has a form they need to fill out and so we approve meetings early in the year and pr- approve tentative dates and hopefully by january february we'll have a list of tentative people that go and and check them out so what what is it up to now
1: it's about five thousand okay. dollars a person
0: i think when i went it was like three thousand mm-hmm. yeah yeah.
1: Well the the five thousand included the Kenya part too. So it was oh, much okay. it was it well, was about that's more. Yeah, it was about three thousand for the the ones that just went to Malawi and it was a little bit less than that for the ones that just went to Kenya. Josiah went with us on on the whole trip, so the three of us had the same price ticket for everything but
2: So with but the just, house it should be a little cheaper because we won't have to pay the hundred dollars a night to get a rooms in a hotel. We have a nice place to stay. One thing about who went this year to Malawi, we had Rebecca and I and, and Josiah and my son Jeremy went, and then Pastor Rufus Myers went. I think this was his third time. Now that's a novel thing. We were stopped with Rufus in the van one day and the police... Goes over to him and starts talking. And so Rufus says, whatever. And so they thought he knew the language because he was black. It was kind of funny interaction. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody wants to come, they can get in touch with you guys. Mm-hmm.
1: They can email me.
0: All right. So, and we'll have Rebecca's email address in the show notes so you can look that up if you're interested. I so appreciate you two coming in and being willing to share about your experience. I have about 1 20th of an idea of what you're talking about <laughs> here. <laughs> because you've been there. Because I've been there, and yeah. I just wanted to share on the TIA point that the image that always came to my mind after all these trips each day was of a paint can in the Home Depot, getting mixed. Because that's what I felt like in the back of that van, bouncing up and down and up and down. and Yeah, it it does take some serious resiliency to To just the travel. It just wears on you day in and day out. And then you get there, you sit, and then you get to speak, and then you sit, and And it's hard to relate to people without knowing their language and you learn a few phrases but it's not an easy trip it's not uh it's not a safari it's not a vacation Mm -hmm. it's it's work 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 and it's to the glory of god so i think it's really inspiring what you guys have done and i hope that this work continues many many years from now don't you we do
1: yeah
2: we do yeah that's the plan each generation turns it over to the next we kind of Went from uh, Anthony and Jim, and and now Rebecca and I are looking at doing what we can for the next few years and then turning it over to the next generation. And we're very happy that our son, Jeremy, is really enthused. He's trying to raise funds for educating the young ladies and, and the young ones in Malawi. Schooling is a major issue because after, what, fourth grade, they have to pay, and they don't have money to pay, so most are uneducated. And so there's a lot to be done.
1: The elementary school schooling is paid for by the government for boys, but none for girls. Oh. So that's why Jeremy is sponsoring girls.
0: Okay. Anything else you want to say at all?
1: Yeah.
2: It's been a blessing to, to be able to go. And at the college, I'm going through the Book of Acts. And so go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And looking that at that in a cultural perspective... Jerusalem, where you are, everyone that you're used to, your family and friends and where you grew up. But, okay, then go to Judea, outside of your normal routine group of friends and in, in, in apologetics. You talk about that in evangelism. But then go to Samaria. What does Samaria represent? Oh, those are those quote-unquote, half-breeze that the Jews looked down on, that the Jews would not talk to. They wouldn't even go in their home. And Jesus broke that barrier in what? John 4, he's talked to the woman at the the well, well. you know, and broke that barrier. And then the ultimate one was the ends of the earth. Now, so you don't have to go to the ends of the earth to be a missionary. You can start getting to know your next door neighbor. Invite them in for a meal. So start building relationships right around you. And then in our little town in Morrow, Georgia, we've had Vietnamese move in. And so we have a couple apple trees on front. They come by and they ask, could we pick some apples, please? Sure. <laughs> so we're trying to get to know them. We're trying right. to get. And so we do mission work on our own street, but outside of our neighborhood. And then if you have the opportunity, Try something for the ends of the world, too. Yeah. And we know Matthew twenty four fourteen. the gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. So we feel like this is part of that. Yeah.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong here, but don't they say that indigenous missionaries are always the most effective? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's just a matter of changing our, our own viewpoint as Americans to be like, well, who better to reach Americans than Americans? And yes. who better to reach... Malawians and Malawians, and yeah, so, true. you know, that that principle, I think, is very helpful. Well, thanks so much for giving me some time today to talk. Thank you. Talk. Thanks, Sean.
2: It's been a blessing.
0: Thanks for taking the time to listen to this interview. I'll have Dr. Joe Martin back next week to talk about his career teaching at the Atlanta Bible College. But for now, if you want to get in touch with the Martins and you want to contribute either financially or volunteer to go on a trip— you can connect with Rebecca by email at rrebrn at yahoo.com. That's also in the show notes for today. Also in the show notes, I have links to the Lord's Harvest International, which is the missionary wing of the Church of God General Conference that sponsors this trip each year. And also you can keep up to date with Rebecca what LHI is doing, especially in Africa, but also in other countries on their Facebook page if you just search for Lord's Harvest International. For more information about the Atlanta Bible College where Joe Martin teaches, go to atlantabiblecollege.com. And if it's not too much trouble, please share this episode with your friends. Take a moment and visit iTunes to review this podcast and let others know what you think. And if you'd like to make a comment or engage with this episode, please visit restitutio.org. That's like restitution with no N dot O-R-G. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.